remember in our last episode, Juliet was talking about Latin America. Mm-hmm. And then I was saying like, oh my God, I also really miss my time there. And after we did that episode, I couldn't stop thinking about it actually. Mm. Um, because also after that episode, Daniel Lee, who is also from Brazil, had an exhibition in, in New York. York. Yeah, I'm so sad that I couldn't come. Visa issues, right? Border issues. But there was this like event. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, Daniel invited people from like Brazil and Colombia and other places. And I was like, oh my God, I really need to go back. So um, I got COVID like two, three weeks ago. I know it's crazy. And while I was rotting at home, recovering from... <coughs> covid i basically planned out a trip to latin america nice and (laughs) that's nice who knows i'm gonna buy a one-way ticket yeah your visa is almost finished right in the u.s maybe (laughs) you can't overstay Oh my god. Oh my god. I'm not going to overstay. <laughs> the point is, I realized from making my budget that I need to sell my mm-hmm. stuff. So what are you thinking of selling? <laughs> okay, so I already have a couple of things. I am I don't know. I I even feel bad saying it because I feel like people are going to judge me for having certain things. Why? Like for having certain things from certain brands. Yeah. Like I have this dress from DVF, um, Diane von Fustenberg, um, which is this like beautiful flowy yellow dress that Amal Alamuddin wore. Um, and there's like many pictures of her with George Clooney wa- wearing the like this yellow dress. And I'm like, how can I like, can I jack up the price if that's a celebrity dress that someone can wear? Uh, how um, long is, is a dress? I mean, how many seasons ago? Because I feel like the longer... Or the older the item, the more the price, I feel. That's, it's, it's just my logic. Really? Yeah, because I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not a comic reader, but, you know, comics are having a comeback. And the price of, like, original comics are crazy expensive. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I mean, that's why a lot of people buy Birkins, right? Mm. Because Birkin prices just keep going up, mm-hmm. right? Like these are collection items that people use as investment instead of putting their money in a bank and letting inflation take over. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying is I'm going through a process where I'm learning to let go of these quote unquote nice things and let 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 it recycle if if that's the right word and like i mm. i can either fund my travel but how are you going do you want to sell stuff just to fund your fun trip or are you going minimal as well oh i'm not going minimal i think because they're in my closet and i'm not <laughs> wearing them and i need and i want to <laughs> buy a like one-way ticket travel mm-hmm. so i need the fun <laughs> but it's good because in this episode we're talking to someone young and super inspirational from singapore and her main focus is in fashion sustainability and creating a language and spreading a new knowledge about sustainability yeah she also loved couture and fashion as art But then when she studied in London, she started really digging deep into um, the way the system works and how the system is just like completely unsustainable. Although she's not advocating for minimalism, she is advocating for clothes swapping. So that the clothes don't go to waste. So should we introduce her? Singyun Shin is a freelance researcher and writer in fashion. She studied fashion sustainability and digital fashion management at the London College of Fashion. Now, in her native Singapore, she continues her advocacy for a more humane fashion system through her work. Seeking the importance of intersectionality when analyzing fashion sustainability, she runs No Ordinary Protest as a platform to call for a shift in mindset. 
She's also the Singapore Country Coordinator for Fashion Revolution, and her go-to fashion activity is swapping. So now that you've gone through this journey and learn about all these things, do you still have an interest in this uh, that kind of luxury couture stuff, or do you still have uh, hope that these luxury houses can possibly change their system to make it sustainable? I think a lot of people think that luxury fashion houses, just because they produce items um, a lot slower than fast fashion companies, and just because they price the items a lot higher than regular fast fashion companies, that they are sustainable. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think they are. I mean, I, I, I don't. I, they are not to me. They're not. But I mean, there yeah, was the whole not. like viral article about how they burn stuff exactly. at the end of the year to keep the yeah. prices high because they don't right. want more supply than mm-hmm. demand. Yeah. And I think after that article went viral, I think everyone started realizing it. But yeah. most people who are aware of fashion, I think, are are have been aware yeah. for that for a long yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think. Luxury fashion houses are harmful in other ways. Um, yeah, sure, in, in terms of carbon footprint and, you know, the amount of um, items that they produce, but also in terms of just, you know, being really powerful, but also not... I mean, it's really the same thing. It's just that yeah. they are producing different goods and they price and they market themselves in, in different ways. Um, I still love fashion. Um, I think it's people think that oh I'm like um the party pooper because I would go into a room and be like oh you know but like how are you making your <laughs> and are you paying your workers kind of thing but yeah. I really still love fashion um I think it's one of those things that um took me a while to sort of get back into because I will be angry all the time and but I I see fashion as art and I would like more people to see fashion as art um yeah. I mean fashion in itself um clothing they are commodities but I think they can also be be art in the sense that you know it's there's art in 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 your habit of wear and how you use your clothing and how you mend them and you know how you keep them in your lives for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I say this not as like a oh I've been in this for like ten years. No, it's really these are a lot of these um sort of realizations are very recent, um and I learn as I go. So, I yeah I I still really love fashion I and I think it's also because I have the influence of my friends of um, the people that are around me that are also in fashion and um, they, they really love like fashion exhibitions um, viewing mm. fashion as art as culture and I think that like has an influence of uh, on me and I still really um, appreciate fashion as art and I love I still really love uh, runway shows of course, like at the back of my mind, I'll be like, oh my God, like what a waste. But um, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I can embody the duality in my in, in myself and I can um, critique it, but also love it at the same time. So, so can I ask, um, you said at the beginning that some people might see you as the party pooper and stuff. So I'm wondering like, how do you respond to that? What do you say to the people who say like, oh, all of these sustainability activists are uh, not respecting couture or real fashion and yeah. things like I that? Mean, no one has ever said it to my face. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't. Um, but hypothetically, if someone says that, um, I would say then, no, uh, you're not reading what I'm saying, right? You're not listening because I'm not, I'm not penalizing couture craftsmen and being like, they're not sustainable. It's not. I'm really just speaking about the power that is within the hands of, you know, the very, very few people that, you know, we can almost name, that we know, you know, um, who these people are. So I, I think um, that there is a distinction between between the two. It's not as black and white as like, oh, if I, if I criticize fashion and as a whole, then I criticize the whole thing. I think it's also nuanced and it's also sort of, um, yeah, there is, there is more to it than just like surface level sort of criticism. And um, very often when I sort of get angry, I am also just mostly angry at brands 
retailers at blatant green washers mm. um, and greenwashing within, you know, advertisements and within, um, and also just fashion billionaires. Because I just don't think they should be existing. Like, honestly, and if you're um, running charity drives to like sort of raise money for a certain like um, marginalized community or, or you know, um, you don't even have to. You're just doing it for tax, right? Because you already have this much mm-hmm. money to just yeah. give it to them. You don't have to ask consumers to yeah. customers to buy from you and then donate. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, you don't have to make clothes, new clothes yeah. to to raise money. It's just yeah it's literally the same thing with every industry when they're like oh yeah, it's exactly yeah and, or, and this yeah. whole like charity model is just it's so like if you really look into it it's it's so self-serving who are we really you know raising money yeah. for <sighs> yeah yeah exactly. so that's the oh my god talking about the, the mad gala i think last year aoc came to the mad gala right wearing that crazy Text dress rich which I think it's just ridiculous, don't you think, that she wore that dress saying that. <laughs> but then she the goes to the Met Gala. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you and know, it, like, in order to I think go, that in order for the Met Gala to happen, they have to, uh, gusur, what's gusur, like, um, kick out all of the homeless people um, in that area. But And I mean, oh, there was a protest that was happening outside of the red carpet. Yeah, 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 yes, yeah. exactly. I mean, every time, like, even Paris Fashion Week, New York Fashion Week, like, there's London always protesters yeah. outside of the, yeah. So, but right, actually, but I mean, the dress that she wore, it's but like- a lot of people say that, oh, but actually, that's how you get attention. You have to, like, do, do the thing that, like, is actually right. hypocritical to get attention and then people start paying attention about it and start talking about it. But that's so, the thing I hate about fashion, like what happened in uh, Paris Fashion Week this year. Have you heard the Indonesian designer, uh, Instagrammer went to fashion, uh, Paris Fashion with Week? With the paramilitary. When, yeah. Paramilitary. Like there's no sensitivity yeah. whatsoever. I mean, I think he was just dumb. That one, like, that guy, just I mean, he's just... Go for, like, controversy and popularity. It's just, yeah. Ha- have you heard about this? No, I haven't, actually. There's an Indonesian, like, quote-unquote designer. He's not a real designer. Um, he He made a bag out of a human spine. So he got, like, a human kid spine from, like, an indigenous... Uh, tribe and he's known for that he's known for like going to really rural areas and lying to indigenous people um to to like uh like people what's the what to fool fool them like have them pose with like his his designs and things like that it's very it's extremely demeaning yeah dehumanizing um, yeah dehumanizing and he uses them as props basically um and so he got invited to i don't know if he got invited or he just bought like uh tens of thousands of dollars of tickets he's rich anyway he wore a paramilitary costume it's basically like so like you know prince harry wore the nazi symbol once before right yeah and the world went crazy when they saw prince harry wear the nazi symbol as a costume but then the world doesn't know about this paramilitary group in indonesia and what they did and so they're like oh this guy's so fashionable like um this is an exciting street where <laughs> i don't know i feel like there's so much military <laughs> uniform but... <sighs> you see that's the thing about fashion right like and i mean back to you know um the aoc dress i when i saw it i i i mean personally i actually really love the dress and it's uh, I think made by like this designer that use a lot uses that is known to be like a sustainable fashion designer. Mm. Like uh When you say you like the dress, you mean the design or the writing? Uh or both. I like the, the dress concept. I like the dress on her. Because when, when she came out or like when I saw a photo of it, I was like, wow, like it impacted me like it created some sort of emotions mm-hmm. uh, uh within me and um and I didn't think much of it because 
to me, the Met Gala is a place to perform. Mm. And uh, to perform and to perform through dress and to perform through costumes. Um, mm. So when I saw it, I didn't really think much of it. I think also because of the time difference, like I think I was going to sleep or something, but mm. it was just like one of those things. And then when I woke up the next day and everyone on Instagram were talking about it and I was like, okay, okay, I'm going to read what people have to say and then I'm going to form my own conclusions. And um, so when I, when I saw it, uh, yeah, I first... I judged it as just a dress, as 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 a as a performance, and I understood it. I was like, "You go, girl!" I'm like, "Yes, text the rich, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, and then when people started saying like, "Oh, but look, um, she is attending this gala that costs like tens of thousands of dollars to even afford a ticket," and like basically when because what they're trying to do is they're trying to raise money, right? Um, mm. But literally, the richest and the most powerful yeah. celebrities and people in and outside of the fashion industry, are seated within the hall and having dinner together. Like, why are we um, coveting this? Like, why is this something that people pay attention to? And I think it also boils down to, you know, popular culture and celebrity culture and all of that, you know, and how media has a huge role to play in this. But I think um, a lot of the criticism was that, you know, the dress was performative and, um, like, just wearing a wearing a, a white dress with angry red words like splattered over it wouldn't do anything. Um, like, are the rich being taxed right now? I, I don't know. And I, I mean, not in Singapore for sure. I mean, not to, not enough, right? Um, but I think it's because it boils down to the fact that dress is performative and there definitely, mm. like even in everyday dress, there is a mm. there is an element of performance. I mean... I'm not like, I watched a documentary and I mean, I'm not American, so I can't really comment on like her politics and things like that. But I thought that, you know, she was a good person to be wearing the dress because from the outside, she walks yes. the talk. And, you know, as compared to other celebrities who um, I'm not going to name who like, you know, wore something and like was like everyone like literally like just um, sort of like there was so much shade when she wore that dress. Or was it a, a suit or whatever? Yeah, but I think her dress is just an extension of her message and her actions. But obviously, this is just me judging as an outsider. I'm not American, so I can't comment much on it. But I mm. think fashion activism and also protest dressing has always been a thing in fashion history and within fashion culture. So maybe this is just an extension of it. And yeah, yeah, that is how I I I sort of I, see it. I think the <laughs> one thing that bothers me is maybe because. That was the time when I was still in New York. I think I was already tired of American politics, and then I saw this, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is yeah. exactly what America is." Yeah, <laughs> yes. no, that. that is also true. That is it's not. True. Yeah, it's not about the it's dress. But it's about yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, it's the system in general. I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How would you demystify the notion that sustainable fashion is? expensive mm. especially in southeast asia yeah this is really interesting because the theme for the campaign message for um fashion revolution week 2022 is actually money fashion power so it actually mm. speaks to mm. how clothing has been devalued over the years so i think um say if i'm having this conversation with a person one-on-one uh, i would first ask them um, like what their spending habits are like, like um, how comfortable they are with you know spending money on clothes. Because I feel like I need to understand that before I can go further into like right. how I would explain it. Because it shouldn't be just like oh, this is what you have to believe, and therefore you have to be like that, right? Because yes. yeah. and yeah. I've also realized that you know I, I've been doing this for for a while now, and I realized that actually one on one conversations are the most effective. I feel like you can shout about it on social media and people sort of, um, yeah, you plant the seed. But I think mm-hmm. for real um, sort of change or, or just a change in mindset to happen, it almost has to happen in person in one. And mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be one-on-one, but it has to be like, you have to see it. So mm-hmm. I really believe in like speaking to people one-on-one. Um but sometimes it's also kind of awkward because, like, how do you get into that, right? Because, like, you'll be having dinner yeah. and then you'll be like, oh, but... Um, so, yeah, it's still... Um, I'm still trying to balance it and trying to figure that out. But 
um, in terms of the value of clothing, I believe that clothing, like how clothing is this cheap now, it's a construct. It's engineered to be this cheap. And it's this cheap because of a lot of other things that are also cheap, like paying your garment workers, like, mm-hmm. uh, and, and like the way you sort of treat, um, how you produce your clothing and how, um, the factory infrastructure could be compromised because you don't spend enough money. And, and I think this all goes back to globalization mm-hmm. and how, um, a lot of these companies offshore the production to countries in Southeast Asia or in Asia at large or, you know, in other countries in East Europe and in Africa. So, you know, it, it's um, the global... But actually, did you guys read the New Yorker article um, about how, I think it was Prada or Gucci. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically the whole made in Italy mm. label like is, is it's a myth. It's like it's not real. It's fake because what they do is these, these luxury houses, they ship workers from China um, to, to Italy. Italy. Yeah. They ship them to Italy to work in these, uh, garment factories that sweatshops basically that have really horrible working conditions and um because it's in italy land they say made in italy but actually it's still sweatshop conditions the people Mm -hmm. who are working there are from china um so like the whole made in china thing versus oh made in italy made in china it's like it's actually the same people and so it's like the same quality and if you want to say oh something that's made in china is like bad quality well then it's the same people who are making the made in Italy stuff. And the thing is, um, the investigation tracked that they outsource the hiring to a third party company so that they can wash their hands off of that so that they, they can say like, oh, well, we didn't hire undocumented workers because these people don't even have papers. And they purposely didn't want these workers right. to have paper so that they they will not be able to unionize and fight for their labor rights. So, right. yeah, like after reading that article, that just opened my eyes to this whole like, oh, made in Italy, made in France. Like it's all bullshit because it's it's still the same working conditions. Yeah. And yeah. I guess like if they are shipping, you know, the same people from China factories, then something that has the label made in China mm. should not be so like, like, oh, this is like mm. crap material. Yeah. Um, because I think there's that really strong, um, what do you, what do you call that? Like stigma? mindsets? Mm-hmm. Stigma? Yeah. No, yeah. I, I completely, I agree with that. And actually, um, I also watched this documentary about like the luxury fashion industry and like fur and leather. Mm-hmm. So it's um I think produced by DW um I can't yeah I think it's the the DW so they right. I think they are a German mm-hmm. production house but they put out like good documentaries and they're like free on YouTube so um and so a lot of the times when they say made in Italy it actually means finished in Italy so it could be just like you know sh- um flying or like sending um garment workers into the italian land and then like have it finished there or it could be um sort of made in a lot of different parts of the world and then shipped to italy and then they would finish the product there finishing literally just means finishing it in a box (laughs) yeah or like it could just be like um putting on the shoelaces on, on like a pair of like leather shoes, you know, mm-hmm. or sort of um, uh, washing it before you pack it and things like that. So finishing is really like the very last step of this, of the whole production sort of stage. So yeah, it's not real. <laughs> I think, um, I mean, I'm sure there are fashion brands and luxury houses that, that still maintain, um, you know, and it's to respect craftsmanship in that way. But I would say as of right now, because of, you know, like you mentioned earlier, because of how um, fast they're producing and how they have to keep up with, like, you know, the new, like, um, sort of, like, when they have to drop their collections, I think maybe it's just not sustainable financially and, and time-wise to, to, to have everything be made mm-hmm. by hand the way they used to be made um, in the mm-hmm. past. And also in, in within the fashion industry, um, subcontracting is very rampant. 
So like what you mentioned earlier, they would engage a third party mm-hmm. um, sort of agency to hire people or to um, hire a new factory, for instance. This is very, very, very common in, in, in the fashion industry and especially in the fast fashion industry. Yeah. So yeah. I think, so am I allowed to like say this? I think like fashion is like, <laughs> I'm probably not allowed to say this, but like fashion and fine art are like ways to launder money, right? <laughs> and so it's like, that's why it stays alive because people have extra money they need to launder. <laughs> and that's why it's like, of course, of course, it's not going to change. I mean, I don't know. It's it's like, or not that it's not going to change. Of course, it's like extremely hard to yeah. change because there is such a demand and it's like a demand and supply thing, right? Like if people continue to buy, even though they're very unethical, um, yeah, things continue to. No, I, to I hear you. I, I hear you, um, and I know where you're coming from. And I think um, it's a problem of overproduction. I think uh, I feel like when people say, "Oh, it's a chicken and egg problem," because people are also consuming at the same time. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that it is. And reason because I think it's all manufactured. It's engineered for us to overconsume. Yes. Because if you look at the way mainstream media is, look at the way fashion media is and how they present narratives of fashion. Yeah. And just how much clothing there are. Like just, if you go on the Shein website, I oh believe it's God. like you could see like 10,000 items on their website mm. and that's just mm. women's clothing, mm. you know? And yeah. it's, I go, like, I defend the hell out of, like, people when they're like, um, oh, but it's because people consume too much. And I'm like, dude, are you are you looking? And I feel like when people have narratives like that and when they have arguments like that, it's always very um, gender-focused. It's always very gender-targeted. And it's almost in a way like, oh, it's because women consume this much. Or, like, female-identifying um, mm-hmm. people consume this much. And I'm like... Dude, we're me too. We're me too. Look at the history of, of fashion media. Look at the history of advertisements. Yeah. Um, look at how campaigns are targeted at us, you know? It, it, it really is a systemic issue. And I think it goes back to how, you know, when you, when, um, Ruth, you asked, how can we demystify, um, the price, the, the heavy, hefty price tag on sustainable, sustainably made clothing? And I think it, it's not to justify a high price tag on, on, on anything. I think it's to explain why clothing can't be this cheap. And it's also, it goes back to the, to the argument of like, oh, but you see, if I don't buy fast fashion, then government workers are not going to be paid. Or like, if I don't yeah. buy fast fashion, then government workers are going to be out of jobs. No, it's about companies who are outsourcing to these factories and these countries restructuring and ensuring that they can have a dignified working condition and they can have dignified jobs because would you want to do an undignified job like i don't want like you know if i had a choice they're left with no choice so i remember reading somewhere and i i don't remember specifically but um it's because there was a film that i i auditioned for um and part of the research for that film was the filmmaker um heard about how these women were working in a garment factory and they had to wear diapers because they couldn't even go to the bathroom because they had to sit there and just constantly work at the whatever um assembly line um and that was after what happened in bangladesh like that that was not long ago that was pretty recent so i guess even after that uh incident you know people are still yeah so i think it speaks volumes of how effective these sort of regulations are and 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 how important it is to do follow-up work and mm-hmm. and i'm sure and so many non-profit organizations and non-government organizations are doing all the good work they're putting time money and labor into ensuring that you know these workers are compensated fairly and also have good working conditions but i think if brands don't speak about it if they don't enforce it if governments of these um of the brands in their home countries don't enforce it and don't legislate it it's not gonna and it's a systemic problem 
you mentioned earlier, Alexandra, like wearing diapers to work, like that's just that is <laughs> that's just unimaginable and unthinkable. Why would anyone want to put someone else in a situation like this? So, you know, um, it's actually quite sad, right? I think. But I think it's also the problem that sustainable fashion has been marketed as almost like a luxury, yeah, fashion. Yeah, no, I agree. It's the way. Like, are you talking about made, made well? Um, and everything, I think, almost the other everything ones? you see on the internet, mostly. Yeah, I no, I, I, I yeah. hear you, and um, not even these like brands that like try or maybe even like just brand themselves as sustainable like even say like capsule collections from like H&M that are like all eco-friendly and like you know um, made out of uh, plant leather or whatever mm-hmm. they only so research has found um, I don't know of the exact statistics but research has found that they take up like zero point I don't know five percent of the entire revenue of the entire profits so you know when when companies say oh look I'm putting out this um this eco collection it's actually just such a minute um fragment of what they actually make over producing in an entire year mm. so it really boils down to that and how um at the end of the day i think as of right now sustainability has become like marketing speak is, and yeah. um mm. at, at, and really if you think about it the most sustainable fashion item is the one that you already own yes if you're throwing away everything that you own that you used to buy from fast fashion brands and then going out and refreshing your wardrobe with like new sustainable brands or new items from from sustainable brands. Is that really sustainable? I don't think it is. Um, but it is what like the industry wants you to believe, you know, like, oh, this bag is made out of this and that. And then this pair of jeans is made out of uh, this and that. Like, look, you can buy now. Like, it's safe now to buy. Like, greenwashing is, is it's it's... I think particularly um, visible yeah. um, in fashion, and I think it's super obvious if like you know how to spot it, and like you sort of you know your antenna is like always um, upright. So, yeah. But that's also the difficulty in creating the sustainability language. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This greenwashing trend has been fooling people around. So how do we better? understand what sustainability is Mm, yeah i think it's important to first sort of see yourself i mean if we're speaking on an individual level i think it's first important to see yourself as not just a consumer but like someone who wears clothing and someone who's like a citizen this is what fashion fashion revolution like champions Mm -hmm. right like see yourself not as a consumer but as a citizen but i also like to believe that we have to see ourselves as wearers of clothing so actually when you start seeing when you start recognizing that and when it um when you feel like you can actually you know reclaim a lot of this agency in terms of what you buy and where you buy and how you buy you would naturally i think scrutinize the clothing that um fast fashion companies are selling and you would naturally, I think, over time, gradually, discern between what is greenwashing and what is not. So mm. I think it boils down to reclaiming this agency as wearers of clothes to be able to discern between the two. And I I don't know if that's already happening. I, I would like to think that it's slowly happening um, and that, you know, uh, more and more people are starting to recognize, I mean, we all know that I think everyone knows by now that the fashion industry is extremely polluting and extremely um, dehumanizing. And but that's the problem we all know, but we yeah. we just like we like over nice it. Clothes. Yeah, <laughs> I mean most people. Yeah, and I mean I like nice clothes too. You know, like that's that's the clothing. I think <laughs> um, it's a form of self-expression. It's it's almost a love language. It's how you present yourself to the world. It's how you. Um, sort of think about or relate to a lot of different people or you know just to 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 the world beyond yourself um i love my clothes and i try to i think form memories with them without having to attach novelty to them i say this coming from someone who works within the system or or i guess at the at the sitting on the fence because like I'm not really within the, the mainstream fashion industry. But 
myself being surrounded with clothes all the time, I find myself being drawn to, even if they're secondhand clothing, right? Because I walk in a, in a swap shop, even if they're secondhand clothing, they're still new. They're still new to me. So I find myself being drawn to these clothing really, um, really frequently and very often. And mm-hmm. it's only human nature to want to own beautiful things and want to have nice things. Um, so I don't think that is the problem. And I think we would be sort of going against what we want to achieve if we keep focusing on, oh, but you can't own nice things or you can't, um, you know, I, I think it's more of like addressing the internal issues within the fashion industry for it to serve its wearers better, to have better structures to serve its garment workers better, to have um, regulations and policies in place to ensure that, you know, the surrounding environment that they make their clothing in um, are not suffering, like rivers are not polluted, like mm-hmm. chemicals are not leaking into like rice fields or rice paddies and things like that. Oh, this is also an interesting fact. Yes. No, 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 Sorry, no, 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 no. Go ahead. So some of my friends, they've started companies or, or like independent brands for sustainable fashion or organic products like soaps and lotion and shampoo Mm -hmm. and things like that and they actually get more regulations and taxations as an independent brand independent entrepreneur because the government says like oh your manufacturing process does not have um it doesn't have a factory and therefore what is it like because it doesn't have a factory it means that they don't have safeguards uh, way to s- safeguards but also like they don't have a procedure right. for uh fuck, i don't know the english phrase kayak persampahan limbah itu apa sih um waste management just waste waste disposal and waste management but then like treatment like, yeah but then it's like well they're independent so it's not like they even have any waste and if it's organic products it like is literally nature anyway so they're not actually making any waste but then it's these bigger brands and bigger factories that get more leeway exactly. um because but even though they're the they actually yeah. produce more and they waste. are the polluters, right? Like fashion is known to be heavily, heavily reliant on on fossil fuels. That is my point. Like governments and countries and you know legislators, policymakers have to make sure that more people want to transition into a a, a cleaner industry. So if you you know still sort of have in place penalized, yeah, yeah, exactly, and you still penalize. Yeah in a form of like financial and monetary like penalization to like companies and, and individuals who want to do good, who are ensuring that, you know, um there are safe practices within the supply chain and that they um there are safeguards, you know, that are in place. Um and then you reward um bigger companies with like, you know, tax whatever. <laughs> Um, then who's going to be doing it, right? It is definitely a, a structural and systemic issue that needs to be addressed. Like, it needs to be addressed at its root cause. Because I feel like a lot of the things that we are doing now are just symptom sweet, um, treating. So if you just speak about, like, oh, uh, making clothing from better materials, or yes, I mean, that's definitely um, important. We're not. Nobody's saying like, oh, you know, we we should continue sticking with polyester and like virgin materials, right? Nobody's saying that. Mm. But if you only look at the symptom treating sort of ways of doing better within the industry, then we're not going to be going anywhere because the the root of it is something bigger, and it's not just about you know using better materials. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, actually, that's what another thing that I wanted to ask, like, since you talked about clothes swapping. So I am also trying to responsibly discard a lot of the clothes and dresses and bags that I have. And some of them, I feel like, like the value is so much more than what I'm getting back in return if I were to go to like a swap. And I feel like, well, that's not worth it. And then mm. I feel resentful um, swapping. And so I just like, well, 
I don't want to let go of these things. And it's like, am I hoarding? But I also Ooh. feel like I, yeah. it's, you know. No. <laughs> it's like, if I want to swap, I want to swap for like something that's like the same, right? Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, Like how it works in, in the fashion pulpit, you are given points for your items. So it's not like a one for one. Say if your items are really in good condition and they are, you know, of a good brand, um, you get more points as compared to, like, say, bring in a, uh, uh, like a dirty shirt. Yeah, but we wouldn't also accept a dirty shirt. So, uh, one thing that we tell people is that um, the condition of your clothing and your items have to be good enough that you would give to a friend and that that friend would wear and accept. Um. I hear you completely, uh, like how, you know, you don't want to give it up because you feel like it's worth a lot more. And I would say if you do want to try swapping, maybe you could like say, um, I'm sure there are like platforms where you can ask for like trade-ins and things like that, like trades, so like one-on-one trades. I feel like um, there are some uh, apps in Singapore that allows that to, to happen. I'm not sure if there's Carousel in Indonesia, but Carousel is a thing in Singapore. Yeah, I'm yeah. aware of it, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, or maybe like just organize a informal swap with your friends whom you also know that they have good stuff. So then, you know, it goes, uh, it's sort of like a friend swap. So you could control like who you sort of invite to a swap and who you want mm-hmm. to swap with. Yeah, I, I actually, I find swapping really fun. I mean, this is like a completely unbiased statement because even when I was not working in a swap shop, um, it was, I, it was something that I did on my own regularly. And I also because I was living with my friends. So I think we were already sort of swapping extremely informally in a sense that we would share each other's wardrobe. So I think maybe it stemmed from there, like this whole, mm-hmm. um, sharing, economy huh but yeah um but i hear you i hear you completely in terms of like how um you would want to exchange something in return of a similar value and that's completely valid when you were in the uk do you think you shop more clothes than when you were in singapore because i feel like for me before i went to new york because the climate here is just pretty much the same right Mm. i have so many options every day so I kind of like wanting something more than my option. In New York, with the with the different climates, when like there's a time that I need to put some stuff away and then, you know, it's kind of built like a wanting that like, oh yeah, I got that jacket. I, I want to wear it like next winter, you know? So I mean, in general, I shop less because of mm. not seeing some of my clothes. And then knowing that it's there. You have time to miss it. Yeah. Like distancing from my... Yeah. Like there's a distance between me and my winter clothes in the summer that kind of like makes me want to wear. But I don't know. Maybe it's me. But what about you two? Um, That's a really interesting question. I think when I went to the UK, obviously, yeah, like you said, it's a completely different climate, right? All of a sudden, I'm like, oh my god, it's so cold, like, it's winter, we never have it in Singapore, like, much, there's, like, the British winter, right, it's, like, cold, dreary, and, like, grey, um, and I think, when I first got to the UK, I, I think I only, like, survived on, like, two winter jackets, and I can't even remember, I think one of them was given to me by a friend, and then another one I bought on my own because it was just too cold. I remember I bought a puffer, a black puffer jacket, like just the most basic one from Uniqlo. And I I actually relate to that whole like missing summer clothes during winter almost. Um, I think mm. just also, I think that was informed by like my just uh, like me missing the summer, me missing the heat because winter is just too miserable. Um <laughs> But I think towards my later years in the UK, a lot of my winter clothes were accumulated from my friends, actually. I was swapping out a lot of them. And I also um, inherited a lot of like my mom's sweaters. So I would bring them to the UK with me. Um, I actually don't remember buying much. 
because also I think I was a student. I mean, I, I don't think I was a student. I was a student. So my funds were really, really limited in the sense that I had to become really creative of how I acquired new to me yeah. clothing um, into my wardrobe. So, I mean, looking back now, I can't really remember it now, but I remember my favorite pink coat that I wore in you know my last two years in London, I got from a clothes swap. I swapped it out from a friend of a friend because she was leaving the UK to go back to Indonesia, actually. And um, she was like, okay, I'm not wearing this anymore. Uh, it was a pink Topshop coat. And I loved it. I think because everyone else was wearing black, grey and like blue. Mm. It was loud pink coat that was just like, you know, like, I don't know if you see, like, I think there's a trend now called like dopamine dressing or something. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was dopamine, dopamine dressing for mm. me because it, it just gave me so much joy. And I still have it hanging in my closet and, and it just reminds me, you know, of the best times. So I think, back to answering your question, because I didn't have a winter wardrobe in Singapore, how I acquired a winter wardrobe was in a very creative and in a very resourceful way. So I was sourcing from different people. I was um, thrifting them. So I bought like a leather jacket for like four pounds in a thrift shop. And it's like real leather and like solid, like it really kept me warm kind of leather. Um, I remember buying a big blanket puffer jacket from Monkey. I'm not sure if you know of Monkey. It's a Monkey. um sister yeah. brand of H and M. I think it's still a fast fashion brand, and it's owned mm. by the H and M group. Um, but I yeah. remember buying this mustard. Um, I remember it was sixty nine pounds or seventy pounds, and that mm. translates into I think about uh, definitely more than a hundred sing dollars and i just remember feeling so insecure after i bought it i was like well, how can i spend so much money on this i don't even like it that much and you know how um shopping in an actual shop does to you i feel like it's very adrenaline pumping yeah. and it's very adrenaline rushing it's definitely motivated by that too and the lights and the music and all of that and the pressure yeah so i think i bought it out of that and then when I when I wore when I um brought it back home with me like back to my dorm I was like oh, I actually don't like it that much and I actually remember wearing it for like one day to the grocery shop <laughs> and then I was like okay you know what I'm gonna return it yeah so I did a really bad thing I wore it out and then I returned it and they took it um and then I got my money back so I think ever since that happened I just made sure that I didn't spend that much money on an item that I wasn't that sure about. I think I slowly sort of grew into the consumer that I am now in a sense that I am very cautious of what I invite into my wardrobe and whether I would be wearing this, you know, um, like say up to 50 times or like something that I wouldn't want to um, throw away or give away in the next like five years or something. It's interesting that you say that you bought it in the pressure of the moment because of like you were in the store and like the lights and everything. And um, I feel like one of the things that also compel a lot of people to buy is um, like store attendance, yeah. store assistance sales associates that kind of like really look at you and judge you if yeah, if and you feel pressure because they're like staring at you while you're yeah. browsing. And if you like touch the clothes and you don't and you buy, um, you just feel this like sort of judgment. And I, I guess I haven't had people ask me directly, but I know friends who feel like sales assistants have like gone up to them and, and sort of asked them in a passive aggressive way. So they feel like really compelled to buy. And I think like that is another Thing that needs to change right like that is another way that the industry drives people to buy buy yes, buy yeah it's literally that calculated and that engineered right like down to the sales associates and down to the lighting mm. of the of the shop yeah. the way the shop smells the way like what sort of music is played in the shop and things like that i agree i think it definitely comes down to the fact that you know companies just want to make money and you know it, it's either sure. through a salesperson or, or like through online sales like constant discounts and like um and actually um i have been a sales associate in in a not in a fashion in a fashion space but i was um i remember my first 
Christmas temp job in London when I first got to London in 2016 was a Pandora sales associate, like Pandora the jewelry brand. Oh, yeah. Pandora's cute. I, yeah. yeah, I was a baby. I was a baby. And I, I mean, I just got the job because like, I wanted to make some money um, over the Christmas break. And then I remember I was one of them. I was like, I mean, I wasn't lurking. I mean, no, I wasn't staring, but I was definitely lurking around. Being like, okay, do you need any help? Because like sometimes um, back then we used to make money also off commissions, right? So I think it's mm. also this like internal sort of model that encourages a person or a salesperson to sell more just to mm. make more commission. Yes. As if like yeah. standing around on the shop floor for seven hours straight isn't enough to like, <laughs> you know, make enough money or something. Like you need to work mm. extra for it. So, you know, it's it's just, I don't know if I can use the word insidious, but I feel like it is, um, like capitalism in general. So it's, yeah, it, it's also, it's also mm-hmm. that. So I definitely, um, having been on both sides of like, you know, being in a shop, being in a fashion store, I, I guess um, it definitely adds up. So I was, um, I was, I have a kind of funny story. Um, I was in this luxury brand store um and they they were of course they had like this like art exhibit in their basement um i think it was in seoul um and so they they have like a a very interesting actually i really enjoyed the art exhibit down uh, in the basement and how they uh put everything together so of course i spent like maybe an hour there taking photos shamelessly but i didn't buy anything and the way they kicked me out of there because i spent an hour taking photos and didn't buy anything was they turn off all the lights in the basement and imagine like i just couldn't see anything it was the basement and it was all dark and it was just was it just you down there <laughs> so that they can do No, that. thankfully there were two other people. But of course, it's like it's still super dark even though there's the three of us, we still couldn't see anything. We had to like like feel our way through to like come upstairs and go to the exit, but I remember that because they I that was their way of like shaming us of like, yeah. "Oh, you like want to take photos and didn't buy anything." But also like it was it was one of those brands that like you have to save up for years before you buy anything. Yeah, no, you see that is I'm so sorry you had to go through that. It's so horrible. Like <sighs> this, this is why yeah. fashion just continues to disappoint us, right? Because they made space for art and for people to create and I mean to appreciate art. Mm. And then they gatekeep that. And they're like, you can't appreciate it unless you spend money with us. <laughs> so then what's the point? Then, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's like, like the architecture of a lot of these boutiques is art in itself, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I actually really enjoy a lot of these stores. But yeah, it's like walking in. You want to enjoy the architecture because it's actually beautiful, but then they expect you to like spend a lot of money the longer you stay and things like that. It's like, ah. yeah, yeah, that is the industry. Yeah, that is literally the industry. You've just summed it all up. That is exactly what the fashion industry is. Like the disappointing part of fashion, the fashion industry. Yeah, yeah. Um, to add on to that, I think there's also power in like individuals sort of creating your own um fashion space the spaces that you can own that you feel completely comfortable in within the 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 fashion system that we have now so like whether it's um maybe it's like watching a film about fashion like watching a fashion film or like you know having this group that you go back to swap clothes um periodically or like even if it's like um taking trips to thrift shops to like try clothes on or like you know just to have fun in in your own way and sort of define your own fashion um, practice and your own sort of fashion expression. I think there is a lot of comfort in that and there's there's a lot of fun and, and excitement in that. And I'm, I'm not sure if I'm only speaking of this because I really love it and I love clothing and I love style. And yeah, I, maybe that is where it's coming from. But I think, you know, putting aside the mainstream fashion industry and all the downfalls of the fashion industry and how it fails us i think there is a lot of beauty in like us creating our own spaces and 
yeah. reclaiming that agency, I feel. And I feel like that gives me power. Mm. Yeah. So what what's your plan for April? What's what are you guys uh doing for the fashion revolution in Singapore? Yeah, so we are definitely trying to um contextualize money fashion power within mm-hmm. Singapore and what that means um as a consumer's like city. Because when you speak of money fashion power, you think about um how garment workers are not paid a fair wage and you know, but that is almost like you know, like the NIMBY concept, like not in my backyard, because we don't see it uh, when we live here. So it's like almost like how can we sort of bring that to light? How can we make something that people can relate to or that people want to pay attention to? And why should they care? Mm. So I think it's addressing all these different issues um, and also doing it in our own way, doing it in a way that is not quote unquote provocative. <laughs> Um, and like still, you know, paying attention to people who may not be as aware of the topic as some other people are. So uh, I'm actually quite pumped for, for April and how um, everyone, all of the volunteers within the organization would come together and work together and, and come up with something that I hope to be not just, you know, short-lived as in like, you know, once Fashion Revolution Month ends, then it ends, but like something that, you know, has longevity and has and that is sustainable in the long run. So, yeah, I think um, that is what I'm pumped for. Yay. Well, sending you all of the good energy. Sending you guys yeah. all of the good energy. So shall we, shall we ask closing questions, Ruth? Yes. Can I ask an extra question for this one? I don't, and if you feel comfortable asking, uh, I, I mean, if you feel comfortable answering. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, what is your favorite food from your home country? So, what's your favorite Singaporean food? But also, I'm curious, do you have a favorite fashion brand? Wow, fashion designer. Okay, so I don't think I have a favorite fashion designer just because I, and this might sound a bit like, what? But but just because I don't believe in just holding someone on a pedestal like that, I just want to diversify my love. So, mm-hmm. you know, like I want to give it all to everyone. Um, and might sound a bit like, oh, but... Yeah, that is that is what I I believe in. Um, so I don't have a fa- favorite fashion designer, but I have a lot of designers that are like on my radar that I think are really intriguing and like I really sort of want to support their work. Who are they? So um, I can think of a few like local fashion designers just like off the top of my mind. So like um, there's this brand called Closet Children. So uh, Rachel, she's the designer. She studied fashion in Antwerp, I think. So she's actually a friend of a friend. Oh. And um, when I so I first got to know of her when she was making masks during uh, when the pandemic first broke out. Uh-huh. And they were like really dressy and costumey masks that you wouldn't think masks would come in. Um, it, it wasn't just what I expected, like facial protection gear to be like. But she sort of transforms it and, and redefines it in her own way. And uh-huh. right now, I think she's moved on to make jewelry uh and like accessories so that is like yeah just off the top of my mind i think her designs are really great and the way she interprets um accessories and how um she sort of sources different crystals and um and put them all together i think her vision is amazing and it's like it's you know how i think when a designer fascinates me it's like um it feels like i just want to be in their brain because i'm like how do you think like how do you be this good and this creative and like how do you come up with like your world and your vision right how do you envision like these things and 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 then like make them into real life Mm. so i think that is something that really intrigues me and then i think if i were to think of a fashion fashion brand uh see this is how much i don't think about designers and brands like it's really like just it doesn't um live on my brain oh i really like this fashion brand based in singapore called sui so they i think they're based in both singapore and india um i'm not sure which i can't remember sorry which city um specifically but um 
the designer, she the founder, she is Indian, but she's based in Singapore. And she was a uh she used to volunteer for Fashion Revolution Singapore. That's how I got to know of the brand. And it's a slow fashion brand and they manufacture in India and all of mm. their um materials are cotton, like natural cotton, and mm. they're really, really comfortable. And they're so comfortable that it doesn't even feel like you're wearing anything. Like that's the amount, mm-hmm. that's the level of comfort that I'm speaking about. Yeah, but um, I really love their designs. I love their ethos. Um, I love Mahima as the founder of the brand, and I, I believe in her vision. And yeah, that is who I want to support. You know, if I have the spare cash and and if I want to speak about designers, I think these are the people I think of. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many more that I just like um, escaping my mind right now. But yes, Singaporean designers are definitely worth looking out for. And even though um, I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of like spotlighting them even locally by like fa- local fashion media companies, mm. um, I think they deserve a lot more spotlight and a lot more, yeah, just more mm. support. Yeah. What is your favorite Singaporean dish? Uh, there's so so many though. Um, I think it really depends on my mood and what I'm craving. I think at the moment, right now, my favorite Singaporean food would be this like dish that I'm not sure if you've heard of, but it's called mihun kuih. So it's basically like dough that you hand pull and then you sort of like toss it in either a sauce if you want to eat it dry or like in soup if you want it soupy. So I've just been recently introduced to this new store that um opened near my friend's place. Um, she brought me there and she recommended it to me because she tried it herself. And then I've just been thinking about it ever since. Because actually, it's quite cold now. I know it's quite hard to believe, but it's actually like cold. Like, <laughs> like 27 degrees Celsius. Okay, that's, that's what I mean. It's quite cold now. So I'm like really craving for a bowl of warm like soup. Um, yeah, so mm. that is just like it's been on my mind, and just um, I really like noodles. So I think I'm more of a noodles person than a rice person. Um, and I like like that texture. Me too. Yeah, that doughy texture that noodles have, and just thinking about it now, it's just I'm just like oh, <laughs> but yeah, I really like that. Um, <sighs> I also really like prata, like roti prata. Um, with mm. curry. Classic. Yeah, so I really like that. Um, I think chicken rice is like fail proof. You can never have a bad bad plate of chicken rice, even if it's, even though, <laughs> uh, even if like Hainanese chicken rice, even if it's like mediocre, it's still kind of good. Um, it's one. It's like you're one of those like magical dishes that you can't fail. I mean, unless it's, it's like the that. signature of yeah. Singapore. So I really yeah. like that. I also really like laksa, uh, with extra cockles. Um, yeah, I think that is it for now. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I also really like popia. I don't really know how to ex- ex- explain it. It's more of like a like a roll. It's not a spring roll because it's not fried. It's bundled together, but like it's got like peanuts, like crushed peanuts, um, bean sprouts, chili, garlic, and like veggie that's like marinated. Oh my god, I could be like offending some like <laughs> popia person out there. But, <laughs> sorry. Um. I, this is me. I'm not very good at. I love food, but I'm really not good at describing food. Um, I I think I'm quite good at describing textures, but not so much food. Um, yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But is there any like Singaporean dish that it's so hard to find in the UK when you were there? Ah, uh, let's. See. The Singaporean food is kind of like mix of like different cultures, yeah. right? So basically, if you want to kind of like Singaporean Indian food you can get from the Indian restaurant but is there like specific Singaporean Singaporean dish that I don't know that you wanted or craving when you were there that is so hard to find I think specifically I don't know if you know of like Asam Laksa mm-hmm. so like it's like the mm-hmm. laksa, version right? of laksa it's not even yeah because like the laksa that we know of is like with coconut milk. So I think Asam Laksa is like the sour like made from oh. fish broth, like, like fish soup. And then ah. you put like ginger and all that. So it's like more sour and, and it's got a like a Is it like Tom Yum? Something like Tom Yum, but not really. But uh, 
probably um less spicy, more sour. Yeah. So I think that was something that they didn't have that I just didn't um think I found. Cause it was more of like uh nasi lemak they had a lot. They mm. also had prata, they also had um uh chicken rice, mm. they had misiam, they had laksa. So these were like the more common ones. Um but then yeah, I don't think they had asam laksa. And then also I feel like in Singapore there's this very special way, okay, maybe it's just me, but at Prata places, um they would sell like tose. So it's like this Indian dish um that's like just literally made out of butter mm. and then they like it's like flat mm. and then you fold it into this like round circular shape, mm. tubular shape, yeah. Maybe it's because I didn't really look for them in London, but thinking back now, I don't think they sold it. I mean, they definitely were at Indian restaurants, but they weren't at like Singaporean food places. So, yeah. And also I feel mm. like even though there were like say chicken rice or like nasi lemak there, it's just different. Like tasting of course. like, the, like yeah. The, yeah. the the local versions of it. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, you could get you could get a fix for sure, but definitely not the same. Oh my god. I miss I, I think Alessandra already know this. I miss uh carrot cake. Carrot cake. Oh carrot cake. <laughs> yeah. Uh what's it called? Chia Tao Kui. Yeah, Chia Tao Kui. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that is yeah, yeah, that is actually really good. I don't know if yeah. you drink. It's this one place in Chinatown where there is, like, a really good beer place, and then, like, the Thai Takui, like, down a few stalls, it's really, really good. So, it's, like... <laughs> That's literally Ruth. She's, like, a oh, beer beer person. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so... Let's yeah, do this! Please, um, bring her around, and then uh, we could do the, the Thai Takui and, and, and beer. Speaking of fashion sustainability, mm-hmm. ever since I came back home from New York, I barely go outside and I picked up a new hobby, mm. which I experiment with my old fabrics that I collected since ah. a long time ago. And I managed actually to make a dress that I'm quite proud of. Yeah. yeah and after talking to Sing Yun, I really want to try to experience clothes swapping. Yeah. And to hang out with Sing Yun to have the beer in Chazaku, of course. <laughs> So if you're in Singapore, go check out the Fashion Pulpit at Marina One mm-hmm. and check out Fashion Revolution. Yeah, from April 18th to 24th. And also Sing Yun's podcast. Yes. All right. Thanks for listening. And until our next feast, this is Ruth. And this is Alexandra. Alexandra.